0: Welcome, dear listener, to another episode of Incredible Tales of the Extremely Far-Fetched. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen. Hello. Welcome to another episode to fill your meaningless existence with a few pathetic moments of cheap and tawdry entertainment. I'm your host, Lloyd Allen. Don't forget to tell all of your sad friends about this show. We're going to need to ramp up listenership in order for my plan to better beautify your city. Yes, in order for my plan to better beautify your city to work. Let's make this city better, shall we? Between me and you, we can transform this dear city into something much more appropriate than what it is now. All this war and endless struggle, we need peace, sweet, sweet peace. Calm, quiet, desolate, quiet. Let's bring peace and quiet back. I will help you Make this the most quiet, peaceful plot of land on the continent. <laughs> I promised you that. That's me, your old buddy Lloyd Allen, and the new Albion Radio Hour. Tune in every week as we lead up to an extra special episode. Extra special. What? Yes. Yes, I did venture out this week. I went to that Tinker shop. Quite a smart fellow. What? Yes, yes, the Llewellyn woman was there. The three of us make for quite a think tank, let me tell you. Just batting around various ideas and plans and blueprints and... Well, no, of course they don't suspect my master plan. I don't ask their ulterior motives. If they're planning their own genocide, it is certainly none of my business. Oh, yes. Just kidding. Today's sweet and entirely benevolent episode is brought to you by Pixelwave's tar pits. Yes, tar pits go quite unappreciated. They're immensely useful. You can spread the tar and make nice asphalt roads. You can safely and securely dispose of dead bodies. You can plug holes to the underworld. But in fact, word is, is that Pixelwave had a wife named Alyssa, who is a rather competent witch. No one knows why Alyssa attempted to open a Hellmouth, although I can think of several good reasons off the top of my head. Maybe she was trying for something else. Uh, maybe she uh, was attempting some interdimensional travel and bungled it. It's quite easy to bungle. But however it happened, Alyssa opened up a Hellmouth and out came terrifying whores. Well, no, no, that's not how the tarp had happened. Alyssa's next problem is that she still had some remnants of a conscience. And so she decided she needed to keep the monsters from destroying the city. Although, why, I can't possibly fathom. So she tried fighting them, but they were too powerful. So she came up with the idea of turning herself into a creature powerful enough to take on these hell monsters. Hmm, there's a good story in there. I must remember to use this sometime. Anyway, she turned herself into a black abyss demon and destroyed the invading monsters. Now, however, Alyssa herself was the problem, since being a screeching abyss demon, she was without reason, just a wild, screaming creature of darkness and hopelessness. If that isn't a mood, I don't know what is. So... As the story goes, a number of the city's magic community got together to destroy poor Alyssa. But Pixelwave couldn't bear to have her lover killed, so she cast a spell which trapped her lover in a huge tar pit, or or froze her into a tar pit, uh, something like that. But but the tar pit sealed the hole and kept Alyssa at bay until Pixelwave could figure out a spell to reverse it. They say she works tirelessly, even to this day, to create a new spell. Hmm, sounds like a job for an old friend of mine. A Jill would be excellent at this. Well, oh, too bad she's, uh... Ah, well, who even knows if this is any truth to it? But just imagining that this city is close to being destroyed by a screaming abyss monster, well, it just fills me with happiness and hope, so we should take comfort in whatever fairy tales we can. So, stop down at Wave's Tar Pits if you can. Say hi to Wave, the haggard, sleepless shell of a woman and her slumbering demonic lover. I've certainly heard worse love stories. Tell them Lloyd sent you. And now, it's time for another fun-filled episode of whatever this show is called. The next time William had a sane, coherent thought, it was, I'm a footstool. He didn't have any clue how long it had been since he had last had a sane, coherent thought, but the reason this was one is because it was accurate. William was indeed being used as a footstool. He recognized some of what was happening around him, as it had been happening for some time and in his madness, some of these flashes had gotten through. He was in a royal court of sorts. The royal court was sometimes outdoors, sometimes in a banquet hall, sometimes in a psychedelic painting, and it just sort of occasionally changed from one to the other, like a dozen dreams. There was a whole host of characters always coming and going that he recognized from his work with tarot cards. Presiding over them all and using William as a footstool was the Hierophant. William had clearly violated some sort of protocol in dealing with the Hierophant early on, not surprising since he had gone mad as a hatter fairly quickly after arriving in this realm, and the Hierophant had decided that as a humiliating power move he would use William as a footstool, which he had been doing for some time, although exactly how long was impossible to say. The Hierophant wanted to chop off William's arms and legs to make him more compact, but hadn't gotten around to it yet. Now that William was coherent, he tried to say something, but was quickly whipped into silence. He then became aware of the amount of pain he was in. He had been kicked quite maliciously for some time and had horrible bruises all over and perhaps some damaged ribs. Thus did he have his second sane, coherent thought, which was, I am going to kill this son of a bitch one way or another. At night, he was thrown into a pit which would morph into a dungeon cell or a small rock on a stormy sea. William was at least alive and finally in command of his mind again, so there was hope, although he couldn't see what that was. He couldn't do much. When he wasn't a footstool, he was stuck. When he was a footstool, any movement got him beaten. From what the rats and dwarves had told him, He was apparently transcended now, but exactly what that meant or entailed he hadn't the faintest clue. He felt like he was in the cul-de-sac of some horrible choose-your-own-adventure storyline. He didn't see what options he had. It seemed like the only thing that could save him was some kind of deus ex machina. He tried praying for one, tried willing one to come. And since he had a long time of just kneeling there for hours as a footstool, he tried going into a trance-like zen state and just casually manifesting it. He had nothing but time to practice this, and lo and behold, it worked. One day, the Hierophant's court was host to a royal visitation by the Javanese gods, Batara Guru Batarusmabu, Batar Kala, and their attendants arrived. As they greeted the Hierophant's court, a smaller spirit, an Apsara, flew around the throne, specifically William the Footstool, and whispered, Greetings, fool, we have come to release you from your bondage. They stayed and feasted for three days. On the third day, they explained that they had to leave at night as they were traveling in Rati's chariot, and she was the moon goddess. This was a night that William's prison was the rock in the stormy sea. In the middle of the night, the storm suddenly calmed, and the Javanese gods flew down and picked up a very grateful William and rode him off to the next realm in the metaverse's sublevel, where the Hierophant had no dominion. The Hierophant would make war, however. Such an insult would never be overlooked. The Javanese gods had decided that a good war was just the thing needed to spice up their apathy, so they had decided to rescue William. The war had been foretold for some time, at least since William had clumsily rearranged some story cluster, retconning a previously non-existent prophecy to emerge predicting his rescue and the glorious war that would ensue. They all commented how it was a lovely bit of information field mastery and suggested he should train further, as such natural talent could do much if applied with discipline. William asked for some pointers, but the Javanese gods told him he wasn't the type of being they were. In fact, he was something rather new and highly rare which had only begun to emerge, and they had no idea what sort of katas a creature as he could use to practice." They gave him a gift, however, a very large and fancy blank book with a gorgeous binded cover, and suggested he start a tome, or grimoire, to catalogue what he would learn on his travels. The book could change size and fit into a small pouch when travelling, then grow when taken out to read or write. He was also given a magic quill. As the realm hastily prepared for the coming war, William thanked them profusely, crying rather hysterically as he did so, and they showed him into a rowboat which would sail down a river leading along one of the many byways of whatever sublevel of the metaverse he was in. The Javanese gods would go on to slightly lose the war, although efforts to conquer their realm would prove fruitless. They would survive, though, and be there when William returned centuries later. William's wanderings would take him across so many vast and unimaginable places, it cannot possibly be summed up in a single tale. But after some years, he began to get a knack for how to survive the metaverse. In any situation, there are archetypes happening. In one, you may be the sad clown or the perky, clueless youth, the indigenous loner, the stodgy authority figure, the prima donna, the lothario, the punch, the invisible extra, the list goes on and on and on. You can pick one and lean into it, and based on your feel for what type of situation you're in will determine how your chosen type fares. An example from one of William's early successes. Black Bart Ya shot me, stranger. I'm a goner. I had it all, the gold, the whole town in my pocket, and now I'm bleeding out, and I don't even know your name. Who are you, stranger? At least tell me that. You killed all my men, and now you killed me too. Who are you, you bastard? The stranger tried to spit. It wasn't entirely successful, as he thought it was a tad bit gross, but he quickly reassumed character. The name's William. "'You and your ilk best remember it.' And with that, the stranger turned and rode off. The town would never see him again, but tell tales of his passing for years to come. A few days later, though, a young happy-go-lucky lad who gave off very bard-like vibes arrived, looking a little like the nameless stranger whose name turned out to be William, but who clearly wasn't because he was clearly a different character altogether— The lad got a room at the hotel and proceeded to enjoy some nice meals at the hotel and drinks at the saloon, which is what he wanted in the first place, but had come to realize this would only happen if he wrapped up another annoying narrative that was getting in the way of this. William's wanderings became the stuff of legend in some places. His grimoire slowly filled. He had many lovers, but few real friends. He eventually went back to track down Percy and Cola. This was not easy, as it took him a long time to work his way out of the sublevel. Percy and Cola had died decades earlier, maybe more. He wanted to try to exit the Strand and re-enter in hopes that he could enter at a previous spot, but this was enormously difficult. It did happen, it was possible, but it was a one in a hundred chance and William had no idea how to do it by command. Time in between strands was indeed a mess, and he could not for the life of him master it. Not yet. He decided it was best if he just accepted fate. Kola's great or great-great-granddaughter was quite similar, the resemblance was obvious. She and her tribe told and retold legends of a group of world-hoppers that two of their ancestors had been a part of, one of whom, a pale-skinned one, may one day return. William was treated with awe and reverence, but he was having none of that. He treated the great-great-granddaughter Asante like family, and soon felt like a member of the tribe once again. He wept with joy some nights, just sitting there amongst them. He taught them what he had learned. He didn't know how exactly a person could become transcendent, only that it was possible, what it entailed, and some pointers that he thought might help. He read his grimoire thus far to them repeatedly. It would eventually survive as oral tradition, and the family would experiment for generations until they alone eventually did find a way to reliably cause the transition to occur. William, of course, was long gone by then. After he buried Asante, he could bear to stay no longer, and so left to continue his long, long wanderings. He mostly explored the sublevel, but also the level of the watchtowers and outer strands. He ran across the gnomes twice more. He avoided them the first time, but became concerned at how they were growing. He wasn't sure what to do. He resolved to find a solution, but became lost in his journey once again. The second time was in a pirate world narrative that they invaded, William was on a ship, at sea, and when he saw the tear and burning harbor, he quickly changed his archetype, took command of the vessel, and sailed towards the most fortified post he knew of. He prepared a ferocious defense, and when the gnomes arrived, he unleashed holy hellfire upon them. He even won, for a time... He had clearly stood out and soon another tear in the world opened up behind the fort and they poured in in even greater numbers. William led a fierce resistance, used every trick at his command, held them off for an incredible length of time, much longer than they'd ever been held off before. But eventually they overwhelmed the bleeding narrative. As they poured towards him, he gave them the middle finger, drew a sigil in the ground and stepped through. He left the sigil open. The sigil led to a hell world. As he fell towards the fiery furnace, he used another technique he had discovered to world hop again, hoping the gnomes weren't as savvy. They weren't. Masses of them poured through his sigil, falling screaming into the fire until they finally figured out to stop coming. They swore vengeance upon him yet again. William, meanwhile, realized he could no longer ignore the threat— there was only one possibility he could think of, one avenue of help. He had to find the rats, their homeworld, wherever it was they resided. He had to find it and organize a resistance. Before we go, the tale of William now over, and time to begin our next book of the saga, where all our players come together, as well as a fresh, bright-faced young lad named Lloyd, It's worth telling one last anecdote that happens at a very late date. William eventually returned to the realm of the Hierophant, hundreds of years later. His grimoire had long been filled and lost. The Hierophant had long forgotten William and welcomed him as a stranger, carefully observing all the protocol. William brought a present, An incredibly detailed, hyper-realistic painting of the Hierophant performing utterly revolting acts upon a group of donkeys. Naturally, a brutal battle ensued. The Hierophant was an immensely powerful being. He wasn't quite a god, but he was close. However, he could only fight using one type of reality and one type of character style. William was now master of a range. He could be a seasoned warlord one minute, a cartoon trickster the next, a long-suffering lone swordsman who had sworn an oath of revenge, a scrappy underdog behind whose swelling, inspiring music played, the immortal veteran, a whole kaleidoscope of archetypes, just switching back and forth between them. And though the battle lasted some time and was far from easy, William killed him. As the other tarot characters cheered, He assumed the lone stranger archetype and quietly strode away. Well, personally, right now, I would rather hear Alyssa, the screeching abyss monster, vomit and gurgle rather than whatever excuse for music they're going to play this time. However, the room likes it. And the room is my friend. I will continue playing this portion of the show. So, rather than a regurgitating black hell beast named Alyssa, here's something far, far worse. Round, like a circle in a spiral Like a wheel within a wheel Never ending or beginning On an ever spinning reel Like a snowball down a mountain Or a carnival balloon Like a carousel that's turning Running rings around the moon Like a clock whose hands are sweeping Past the minutes of its face And the world is like an apple Whirling silently in space Like the circles that you find Like the circles that you find in the windmills of your mind Keys that jingle in your pocket, words that jangle in your head Why did summer go so quickly? Was it something that you said? Lovers walk along the shore and leave their footprints in the sand Is the sound of distant drumming just the fingers of your hand? Pictures hanging in our hallway in the fragment of a song Half remembered names and faces, but to whom do they belong? When you knew that it was over, were you suddenly aware That the autumn leaves were turning to the color of her hair? Like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel Never-ending or beginning in an ever-spinning reel Like a tunnel that you follow to a tunnel of its own Down a hollow to a cavern where the sun has never shone Like a door that keeps revolving or a half-forgotten dream Or the ripples from a pebble someone tosses in a stream Like a clock whose hands are sweeping past the minutes of its face And the world is like an apple whirling silently in space Like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind Keys that jingle in your pocket Words that jangle in your head Why did summer go so quickly? Was it something that you said? Lovers walk along the shore And leave their footprints in the sand The sound of distant drumming Just the fingers of your hand Pictures hanging in a hallway In the fragments of a song Half-remembered names and faces But to whom do they belong? When you knew that it was over, were you suddenly aware That the autumn leaves were turning to the color of her hair Like a circle in a spiral, like a wheel within a wheel Never ending or beginning on an ever spinning reel As the images unwind, like the circles that you find In the windmills of your mind